Well, Merry Christmas, Fairhaven. Great to see you. For all of you that call Fairhaven Church home, I just want to say on behalf of my wife and I, Merry Christmas to you. I hope you have a great Christmas season as we enter into the last week here before Christmas. It's just so exciting. And for those of you that are guests, we hope that somehow you'll feel the love of God in your life and the warmth of our church family and any one of our campuses uh, because we do welcome you here and we're glad you're here and we hope that you'll find your way because we do want you to settle into a church family, whether it's here or any one of the great churches uh, that we have in our community. If we haven't met, my name is David. I'm one of the uh, pastors on staff here. It's great to be with you here today. I do want to welcome our other campuses, and in fact, I'm going to need your help today because I think before we start all of these Christmas Eve services on all of our campuses, I think it'd be appropriate to say thank you to all of our musicians. I'm going to ask you to do that with me in just a second. Um, I want to say welcome to, or Merry Christmas to Springboro and to Northmont and to Beaver Creek and to Classics, and of course, all of you that are right here in Centerville. Okay, so now I think you're ready, right? Here we go. To all the musicians in all of our campuses. Give them a big, huge round of applause. Would you do that for all they do for us? I've been hearing them. They have been practicing and rehearsing, and they're ready to go as we're going to tell a Christmas story through song and through uh, scripture reading, and so we're so, so excited. I hope you got your tickets for that um, as we're excited about Christmas Eve. Hey, before we jump into our series called The Promise that we've been looking at for the last three weeks, today is week four, the last one actually, but before we enter into the Christmas Day, um, Christmas Day, we have, a, as I mentioned in all of our campuses, I have a seven-minute devotional for you um, that it would be really good if you did it right after you open your gifts, especially if you have little kids um, or grandkids, right after you open the gifts, pop that on, whether it's the app or the website, um, and we have a, just a little message for you, some Christmas music for you, just to remind us as to why we actually have gifts under the tree. Why do we do that? Um, and so it'll be a good reminder for us as we're uh, celebrating what's really, really important about the season here that we have. I wanted to also add on, before we jump in, to what all the campus pastors have been saying to us about what God has been doing in us and through us. I've got some really, really exciting news for you. Uh, starting off with, if you are... Uh, you call Fairhaven Church home, you know that we're passionate about people finding hope. We want every person in our community and literally all around the world to find hope. Um, in fact, it's really the desire of our heart. We're, we're actually so, so um, passionate about the fact that we want you and all of our people in our communities to find hope, that we do everything we can. And so last week uh, in St. Lucas, we have a partnership with Guatemala, and many of you know that for over 20 years actually, We've uh, sent teams down to Guatemala, helping to build churches in different cities and so forth. And they launched their first service and they dedicated their church building. I was there, I think 20 years ago, when there was about nine people in this little tiny rented facility. And we've been able to help them over the last 20 years in church. Well done, I want you to, I want you to see it. Here they are, they dedicated their service uh, and we had some staff down there and some, uh, some global staff down there with them. And so would you give them a huge round of applause there in Guatemala as some are connecting with us right now. That's unbelievable. And then you also know that we have a partnership with Ecuador in Quito, Ecuador. It's a city that's really high up and, you know, high altitude and so forth. And we uh, connect with lots of churches there. And uh, as we're connecting with them, sending teams down there for more than a decade, actually. And while we're connecting with them, they had a desire to plant another church in the city. Quito's a really huge city. And they did it. And they, two weeks ago, had their very first service um, and they, in a rented facility. They rented a, a 
school there. And let me show you a picture of that. Uh, and you can applaud for them because some of them are, are uh, I think, helping us right now online with us. And there they are in Quito, Ecuador, a brand new church family that you had part of. Way to go, Fairhaven. So I just want to tell you, if you call Fairhaven Church home, I just want to tell you that we tell you all this stuff because your giving matters. It matters a lot. Thank you so much for your generosity. We tell you all the time, and I hope you don't uh, get tired of hearing it, the generosity of, your church, of our church family uh, that I'm a part of, uh, my generosity as well, that we get to do some great things. We want every person in Quito and in St. Lucas and in Dayton and Centerville and Springboro and Northmont and Beaver Creek, we want everybody to find hope. And so here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. If, you're, if you call Fairhaven Church home, I'm gonna ask you to prayerfully consider as we enter into the last week of the year that would you ask this question question of yourself, a question that my wife and I actually asked yesterday, and that's this. Are you where you want to be with your generosity to God and to what he wants to do in and through us here at Fairhaven Church? Would you just do me a favor? If you call Fairhaven Church home, would you just prayerfully consider this question? Are you where you want to be in your generosity to make sure that as we enter into a new year, we get to do some fun things like we've been uh, talking about with all these partners around the globe and locally here and with your kids and grandkids. Uh, I talked to many of you. I know you want your grandkids to be, you know, part of church family uh, down the road. And so we're asking you to consider that. All right, grab your Bibles. We're going to continue on in a series called The Promise. Um, what we've been looking at is this promise that God gave to us that he was going to send his son. And it doesn't happen actually in the New Testament. That's not where it starts. It actually starts in the beginning of the Bible. And so we started in Genesis chapter 3, and then we went to Genesis 22, and 1 Chronicles 17, and then Isaiah chapter 9. And today, we're going to be in the New Testament, all right? Uh, don't worry about it. We're going to be in Matthew, because Matthew bridges the Old Testament into the New Testament, and we're going to get there in just a little bit. But you know, Christmas is such an important season, and here's why. Because when you think of your life, and if you reflect over the last year or even the last month, every single one of us has deep longings. Now you might like, what is that? Well, longings are desires that we have in our life. We have deep, deep desires in our life that God would meet us, that things would happen. And I'm not just talking about the fact that you get a better job or you get a raise or your kids do well or you find your spouse or that you finish well you know, in school uh, so that you can you know, graduate well. Those are all important things for sure. But those, the longings that you and I have, the desires that you and I have are far deeper than that. And that's exactly actually why we love stories. Because anytime you watch a story or you look at a movie or you watch a story through a movie, a fictional story, the reason why we like them is because all the times the stories are told, when the stories are told, they touch the longings and the desires that you and I have in our life. I don't know if you're familiar with the author J.R.R. Tolkien. He wrote Lord of the Rings. He said, because he was a follower of Jesus, he said that all stories, all fictional stories, have a basis and a foundation in the one true story. All stories, he said. 
because we all have deep longings. And I want us to think about that for just a little bit. I need your help here. I want to see if you know a couple of movies that I'm going to show you. I'm just going to show you a picture and you tell me if you know the movie, all right? By raised hand in all of our campuses online, if you're joining us somewhere in Dayton or around the country or world for that matter, um, see, if you, if you, see if you know them. All right, here's the first one. All right, raise your hand if you know what movie this is. All right, Centerville, Classics, Springboro, Northmont. Okay, many of you, I'm looking around here, you know this is Indiana Jones, right? And the storyline in this movie is that they're trying to find the Ark of the Covenant because if you find the Ark of the Covenant, then somehow you get a connection with God or something supernatural, and then you get to live a long life. As a matter of fact, the movies, as they went on and on, um, the, the point or the plot of the movie was that somehow you, you know, you had the spring of, you know, young spring of life where you could have greater life or better life. And so that was the underlying uh, part of this movie. And so you can begin to see that J.R.R. Tolkien is correct, that every fictional story has the underlying um, or the plot of the greatest story ever told. Let me give you another one, see if you know this one, all right? How many of you know this one? By raised hand, how many of you know this one? All right, less people know this one. This is The Hunger Games. How many of you saw The Hunger Games? Let me just see your hands. Okay, so now more of you know The Hunger Games. This is Katniss Everdeen, and this is Primrose Everdeen. Let me tell you that story just quickly. What happened in the very first movie is that people were selected to be tributes for their section, and Primrose was chosen, but uh, her sister, her older sister, decided that she was going to volunteer in her sister's place in order to be the tribute for their section. So Katniss volunteered herself in place of her younger sister. Are you catching the plot there? Again, there's an underlying plot there, an underlying because of something that's greater, a story. Let me give you another one. See if you know this movie here. Raise your hand if you know or seen this movie, okay? Many of you. This is Avatar, the movie Avatar, which actually comes from the Hindu word avatara. So it's actually a Hindu movie, if you will. Uh, the theme of it is about the deity that comes to earth and incarnates on earth in order to be able to do things on earth. Does that sound familiar? Right? J.R. Tolkien is right. I mean, it's, a, it's an underlying uh, to the one and true story. Here's one more. Now, you know this one. Come on. If you don't, your kids know this one, right? Snow White. Many of you raised your hands on this one. And if you're here today and you're in middle school, you know this story, Snow White, where Snow White eats an apple. And because she eats an apple, she has this sleep that's like death uh, because of her wicked step you know, ma mother and the queen and because of jealousy and all of that. And uh, she's asleep, dead-like, for an entire year until the prince comes and kisses her because it's only true love that's going to cause her to be awakened and to be able to have life. Can you see the storyline that's happening there? It's an underlying story. All right, here's one more, and I don't know if you'll catch this one or not. Raise your hand if you know what movie this is. Okay, I'm surprised here at Centerville. Many of you know it. Um, this is um, The Matrix. And The Matrix is a, is a story of about a computer-generated world where truth is, is not absolute, where you get to pick your own truth. As a matter of fact, you can, you, know, you can take the red pill or you can take the blue pill. The red pill is truth, and the blue pill is you get to make up your own truth. And so you can see all these, I think it go on all day today, and we won't. But I want to stop right here and tell you I'm not promoting any of these movies, right? In fact, I haven't even watched a couple of them, but I'm not promoting any of these movies. But I think J.R.R. Tolkien is correct. 
Every fictional story has an underlying foundation or points to the greatest story. Because you and I have deep longings, deep desires, here's what Tolkien said that our deep longings are. See if he's right. He says that humans have a deep longing to a couple things. He says to get outside of time and space. That we want to, we like stories because we, we want stories to help us to see that beyond our own experience, there's some good things that might be able to happen in your life. We want to get beyond time and space. We have a deep longing for that, Tolkien says. He also says that humans have a deep longing to escape death, right? We don't want to die. We want to find a way to be able to live forever. We want to find something that gives us, you know, further youth and stay young and, you know, the fountain of youth, if you will, based on what you, you know, your story. And so Tolkien says we have a deep longing there. Thirdly, he says that human beings have a deep longing to be in relationship with the divine, that you want to connect with something greater than yourself. You want to connect with something that gives you an opportunity to know who your creator is or someone who is smarter and more powerful than you are in your life. He says we all have that deep longing in our life. He goes on and he says that humans have a deep longing to find perfect love that never goes away. See, we know that you know what I know and that human love is not perfect. It's good, but it's not perfect. And we long for something more. That's why during the Christmas season, I get lots of pressure at my house to watch Hallmark movies. Come on, guys, help me out here. Anybody else? And you know, I've already told you many times, at least twice that I can think of, that Hallmark movies, the, the, the thing that I don't like about them is that they're all the same. I mean, you know, guy meets a girl. They don't like each other. Then they fall in love. He kisses her at the end. <laughs> They're all the same, right? Um, and so at Christmas time, because we're all look, searching, we all long for this perfect love in life, whether you're single or married or you know, high school or 80, doesn't matter. And so human beings have this deep longing. And then lastly, human beings have a deep longing to triumph over evil. That you want to get help from somebody in order to get over that which you know is hard in your life or that which is evil perhaps in your life. I think Tolkien is right. All these stories, fictional stories, point to the one true story of Christmas. So we need to look at that story. Would you take your Bibles or your devices with me and let's turn to Matthew chapter one, as I mentioned, because Matthew chapter one is the bridge between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And we're gonna take a look at that. I'm gonna read a story that's so familiar to you that I hope today that as we think through this and you begin to perhaps for just a few minutes, think about the longings that you have in your life. You have deep longings in your life. Things that you hope that will happen this Christmas season. Things that, will hope, that you hope happen next year or that is happening in your life even right now. And so Matthew chapter one, we're gonna be reading the story. See, in the church, we often use this word here, and the word is gospel. And the word gospel means in the ancient English words, they actually put two words together, and you can see now why we're talking about stories and movies and things like that. The two words that put together in the old English and the words that are put together are good and spell. Because Tolkien says that when you hear a good story, it puts a spell on you or it draws you in. Here's why. Because you have longings. You have deep longings in your life as I do. 
And the gospel that we're going to read in Matthew chapter 1 is not a fictional story, as I mentioned. It is a real story that you and I can learn and understand again this Christmas because it's a story that is good. That's why we call it the gospel, which in, in our terms, we say good news. Right, church? Good news. Take a look. Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Here's what we read. We read the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. The word genealogy um, in the original language is the word account or true story. That's what that means. So we're not looking at a, at a false fictional story here. This is a true story. So the book, this book, Matthew, the book of genealogy of Jesus Christ, in the original language it says the Christ, because he is the Christ. He is the anointed one. He is the one that has been promised. Jesus the Christ, the son of David, we've been looking at that. The son of Abraham, we've been looking at that. And this whole series, we've been saying one thing. If you, if you haven't been with us or you're visiting with us today, we've been saying one thing, and that's this. That God makes all these promises and he fulfills them. Amen. So I want to try that with you here because that's the one thing I want you to learn in this whole series. Even though we've been looking at Genesis and Genesis and First Chronicles and Isaiah and today as we look at Matthew, I want to remind us as we go into this Christmas week that God makes promises and church, he does what? He fulfills, he fulfills them. I want you to remind yourself of that as you go into this week, as you celebrate, as you have your Christmas Eve, your traditions, your Christmas Day, and your traditions. It's so important. I was asking the question in the beginning of the series that what does Adam and Eve, and what does Abraham, and what does David, and what does Zerubbabel have to do at all with the Christmas story? Well, three weeks ago we saw Adam and Eve because Adam and Eve was promised a savior that would crush the enemy. And man, what great news that is, because we all have a longing for evil to be destroyed and, and eliminated in our life. And then we looked at the story of Abraham, where Abraham was promised the descendants of his life, um, that he they would be more than the sand and, the, and the, uh, the stars in the sky. And God told him to take his son and to sacrifice him. And yet at the very last minute, he substituted another sacrifice because that's what God does. He wants to sacrifice himself on our behalf. That's the story of Christmas. Then we went to David last week, and we saw that David built the, wanted to build the temple. Actually, his son Solomon built it because God was living in a tent in the, in the Ark of the Covenant, and God wanted a permanent location in the temple. And the New Testament tells us that you and I are the temple. And so what we learned together in David is that God is not just near. God is with us. That's amazing that you and I, if you're a follower of Jesus, you can walk with God by his spirit with us every single day. And then we get to Zerubbabel and you probably wonder, well, who is Zerubbabel and what difference does he make at all? And the answer is, I don't know. I just chose his name because I thought it was cool. Because if you look at Matthew chapter one, look at verse 12. He's listed in verse 12 and he's listed there as the great, 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 great grandfather of Joseph, who we'll read about in the story in Matthew chapter one. So Zerubbabel has a part to play because Matthew lists all the names, and I'm not going to read the names for you today. How many of you are like, oh, thank goodness, right? There's, there's a lot of names that are there because Matthew is bridging for us 
the fact that Jesus is the son of David, the son of Abraham, and Zerubbabel is the great, 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 great grandfather of Joseph. And so let's take a look. Let's pick it up in verse 18, Matthew chapter one, verse 18. Let me begin to read this story for you. And here it is. Now, the birth of Jesus the Christ took place in this way. When his mother married had been betrothed or engaged to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And when her, jo- when her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Put your finger there before verse 20. Now you've heard this story a million times. But we read the story again and we need to kind of put ourselves into the story. Guys, I want you to imagine that you're Joseph. And ladies, I want you to imagine that you're Mary. And you're engaged to a guy or you're engaged to a woman. And she comes to you and says, I'm pregnant. Oh, and by the way, it's God. The guys are going to be like, right. Got it. And the ladies are going to be trying to convince and say, no, no, honestly, I promise you, this is what happened. This is what happened. And you and I know, I don't have to do anything on the screen here to tell you how a baby comes about from a man and a woman. And yet we read here that God intervened and supernaturally, because he's the creator, he doesn't have to do it our way, right, church? Supernaturally, he visited Mary and she became pregnant. Think of the tension that was there. I mean, think of the tension. And then I want you to think of the tension of your life, the script of your life, your movie, if you will. Because you see, in your movie, you have lots of longings and lots of desires, and there's lots of tension. So let's read on. Because God wanted to communicate something to this young man, Joseph. Verse 20. But as he considered these things, he considered divorcing her because they were engaged in the first century. Engagement really meant you were married, but you waited a year in order to make sure that she wasn't pregnant, actually, and to build a house or to build an addition onto the house of the parent's house. And so a year usually goes by. And so he considered divorcing her. And it says here, but as he considered these these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. This is what the angel said. Joseph son of David. You know, after this series, I think that statement there, you'll never read that like you've read it before. The angel was communicating to Joseph, look, I've been making this promise for a long time because Joseph would have known about David. He would have known about Abraham. He would have heard the story about Adam and Eve. He knew the prophets. He had read the prophets as a Jewish young man. He knew Isaiah had promised for unto us a child is born. He would know about all of that. He knew about the prophets telling about a virgin birth. He knew all of that. And the angel visited him and said, Joseph uses his name, which is just so awesome. Son of David saying, look, this has been happening for a long time you got to trust me in this. Church, as we enter into the last week of Christmas, and you think about your script, your movie, and you think about your longings and your desires, what we learn in the Christmas story today is the power of the name of Jesus, which means you can trust God, just like Joseph. Let's trust him 
for the longings that you have in your life. Let's read on. Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. Now, as a guy, I'm thinking the better word would be, do not be angry. Because I think I would be angry, like, are you kidding me? Really? This is going to be so embarrassing for our family. This is embarrassing to you. This is embarrassing to me because I, I wasn't involved. You know, this is so embarrassing. So do not, be, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name. Love that phrase. Underline that in your Bibles, if you will. You shall call his name Jesus. Why? For he will save his people from their sins. It's amazing the power of the name of Jesus. We sing songs that talk about the power of the name of Jesus. Scripture tells us that one day, at the name of Jesus, every single knee, help me out here, church, will bow. There's so much power in that name. But the angel doesn't just say, you shall call his name Jesus. The angel says, you should call his name Jesus because he's going to save the people from their sins. I want you to notice this phrase here. This is so important. You shall call his name Jesus, but then he tells us what Jesus' name means and what he's going to do. He's going to save us from our sins, and we all have deep longings for that in our story. Did you know that there's a Latin phrase, and the Latin phrase goes like this, nomen est omen. And in the English, that's what, this is what it means. It means the name is an omen. In other words, there are parents that name their children certain names in hopes that they'll actually live out those names. In psychology, it's called a nominative determinism. Now, those are big words that I don't really understand, so I had to look it up. I did the research for you, that some parents and some people name their kids certain names in hopes that they actually live out what those names are, and it's called the nominative determinism, which is a hypothesis that people tend to gravitate toward areas of work that fit their names. Now, this didn't happen in my family. See, my name is David Smith, and I've told you many times, I can't even hardly order a pizza. Like when I call them and she'll go, yeah, what's your phone number? She'll get the phone number and she'll call me back or he'll call me back two or three times just to verify that David Smith actually does want a pizza, right? Now, my parents were not that very creative because I have two brothers. One of his name is Mike Smith. You're not gonna believe this. My other brother is John Smith. <laughs> my parents really thought long and hard about those two names, right? David, Michael, and John. Yeah, I think that'd be good. Let's name our three boys, you know, those names. And in our own family, my wife and I, we chose Tyler for our oldest uh, son because Tyler was kind of a popular name and we liked it. We thought it rang nicely. And so Tyler David is his name. David is my name, obviously. So we chose a middle name there. And then we got to the second one and we thought, oh, oh, we better choose some better family names because like, you know, the first name Tyler was not really part of the family. And so we went with Brandon, no D, Brannon Eugene. Brannon is my mother-in-law's maiden name, and Eugene is my father-in-law's name. And so, you know, we got the whole family thing going, Brannon Eugene Smith. And then uh, the doctor that took care of us and Brannon, we liked his name so well. His name was Peyton Miller, the doctor. And I thought, man, that's a, that's a cool name. Like, that's like an author, you know? Like, 
How to Have Children by Peyton Miller. So when it came to number three, we named him Peyton because we thought Peyton was a cool name. And of course, everybody thought we named him after Peyton Manning. And the answer is no. We were living overseas at the time, didn't even know who Peyton Manning was. And so we named him Peyton. And then his middle name is Carl because my middle name is Carl. And then we got the last one and we named him Brent. Um, and Brent is a, a friend of mine, my best friend actually. And so his name is Brent. So we named him after him. And then his middle name, we thought we got to pick something cool. So it's Wesley. And I think part of it was because when I was younger, people thought that I actually looked like Wesley in The Princess Bride. I don't know if you've ever seen that movie or not. Don't watch it now. <laughs> As I said, I'm not promoting any movies here uh, today. So my sons, we gave them all kinds of names, and they, I don't know if they really lived out any of those, but you know what actually happens. Let me show you. It actually happens. Um, th these are true names, actually. Here's a picture of Dr. Pam Graves. She's an archaeologist. I'll let that sink in a little bit. <laughs> you may need to turn to the person next to you and kind of explain that a little bit. Right. Nomative determinism. Okay, let me give you another one. Here's another one. Here's Tom Kitchen, who's a chef. I'll, I'll give you a few minutes to let that sink in a little bit. Okay, this is only the 1030 hour. It's amazing. Okay, here we go. Um, this is a runner. His name is Aaron Farr. He's a runner. <laughs> Um, who actually tried for the Rio Olympics, believe it or not. And so you can see there, um, let's read it again. Here we go, verse 20. As he considered these things, an angel appeared and said, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus actually means Jehovah is salvation. So the angel gave Joseph the name of his son and then told him what that son would do. He would be salvation for you and I, the name of Jesus. I'm here to tell you today that the Christmas story reminds us that in your own story, in the movie of your life, as you have longings and desires, the name of Jesus is so powerful that he can do so much in our lives. Let me show you. Jesus, first of all, he rescues us from sin and death. That's what he does. The name of Jesus is so powerful that he can rescue you and I from the things that tangle us up and from the things that get twisted in our lives. And from death itself, the fact that, you know, death is, is the end. It's not the end. And so he, he rescues us from all of that. That you and I have life forever through the name of Jesus. Secondly, Jesus restores our relationship with God. If you're here today and you're new to faith or you're new to church and you're not sure about this whole thing, I got good news for you today in that your relationship with God is broken like mine was and the only way for that relationship to be mended is not for you to do religious things because it turns out you can't do enough. See, what happens is Jesus came as a baby and he died on a cross in order that you and I can have life and we can have rescue from our sins and death forever. And then he restores us into a relationship as we give ourselves to him. That's an amazing thing. That's what the story of Christmas is about that Jesus interacts with your story 
in order to be able to make those kind of changes. Thirdly, Jesus provides love that lasts forever. (laughs) Because our human love is so, you know, it's so faulty. And yet God loves us. We want a God to love us unconditionally. We want a God to love us even when we're unlovable. We want a God to love us even when we don't love him back. And he does. That's the story of Christmas. His name shall be called Jesus because he provides love that lasts forever. And then lastly, Jesus defeats evil in life. He defeats evil in your life and in my life. Church, this is the script here from the name of Jesus. When you look at your own script, what longings do you have this Christmas? Perhaps it's because you want to be rescued from something in your life that's twisted. Perhaps you want to be restored into your relationship with God. Maybe you've been drifting, or maybe you've not got a relationship at all with him, and you want to be restored. Perhaps you want to be provided with love. You know, these three words are so powerful that I think sometimes we forget to say them enough, and the words are this. God loves you. Wow. And he knows you. And he still loves you. I mean, it could be that this year, this Christmas, in the deep longings of your life and in the script and movie of your own life, maybe it's that you just need to hear that God loves you or that God wants to defeat evil in your life. Because there might be something in your life that's just weighing you down and causing you to be so heavy, you can't hardly move, you have no energy, you have no joy in your life, and God can defeat evil in your life by the name of Jesus. You see, this whole series, we've been saying this, that Christmas is the promise of God and the deepest longings for God fulfilled in one name, Jesus. What does that look like for you? Would you just bow your heads with me for a second? And as we enter into the last week of Christmas, what does the movie or script of your life look like? And what are the longings that you have in your life that you need Jesus to intervene? Father, I pray that you would help us today. I pray for all of our friends here. Lord, we desire to not just go through another Christmas, to hear all the stories, to sing all the songs, and forget about the fact that we have deep, deep longings, deep desires in our lives. Help us, Father. May the name of Jesus alone, as we read the story over these next five to seven days, I pray, Lord, may his name alone intersect with our story in such a way the change would happen. We thank you, Father. Thank you for your great love. Thank you that you rescue us, that you provide for us, that you restore, and that you defeat evil. We thank you in Jesus' name. And the church said, Merry Christmas, everybody.